Blog Talk Radio. Time now for the Gridiron Stud Show. Well, you can be all American. Actually, you now. You're actually, I can do it now. You can do it now? Yeah, I can do it. But I'm trying to focus on my position. With your host, Chad Wilson. They hate no me on You know, I got to something in the mix. Bringing you high school, college, and NFL talk. I don't rap a discipline. Yes, sir. You all need more discipline. True discipline. Come on, get a grip. Call us on the show today. Don't get out of my face with that crazy that, stuff. That, that. The number to call, 347-633-9365. If y'all got to take, y'all know that. Or you can reach us on Twitter, at Gridiron Stud. And now, your host, Chad Wilson. And uh, we're here. Going to be talking some high school, college, pro football, all of that here in the next hour. And uh, I'm happy to do that with you. All right. Just got back from Los Angeles to beat a seven-on-seven national championships, um, as usual. A lot of talent, tremendous amount of talent out there. Um, a lot of good stuff. I do want to get to this today. I want to ask this question. Why is everyone hating on 7 on 7? What is the, what is the big deal? You know, uh, I would hear it before, um, and there were some gripes about, you know, 7 on 7 and the coaches um, that are part of 7 on 7. And I totally understand. Um, not always the greatest characters involved in 7 on 7 coaching but now it just seems that the critics of 7-on-7 seven seven are absolutely just going out of their way. They want to make it seem like there's nothing good that comes out of 7-on-7. Seven seven. And for someone who's coached it and had two sons go through a whole 7-on-7 seven seven circuit and experience, I'm here to tell you there's a whole lot of good that goes on with 7-on-7. Seven seven. So I'm just wanting to know at this point, why are people so down on it? Um, it's like they want 7-on-7 seven seven to die a very quick death. And I, um, we need to address that question on the show today. Um, I do want to announce that I'm going to have Steve Wilfong, the uh, director of recruiting for 247 Sports, joining me later on at the show. We're going to talk about the Adidas 7-on-7 seven seven and what uh, we both saw. Steve and I were fairly close to each other on a lot of the games that took place, specifically the ones involving um, South Florida Express, who were the champions of the Adidas 7-on-7 seven seven event at El Camino College in Los Angeles. Um, tremendous performance by uh, South Florida Express. Going there, played nine games, did not lose a game. And we're talking about some of the best talent in the country, some of the best 7-on-7 seven seven teams in the country from all over the country. South Florida, Texas, um, the Midwest, the West, all of the regions uh, represented in 
the uh, Adidas 707 National Championships and forth. South Florida Express to go there and sweep through 9-0, not lose a game is um, a significant accomplishment. So we'll talk about some of that and maybe discuss some of the reasons why South Florida Express was able to do that. Now, South Florida Express has fallen short in uh, a number of uh, Adidas regional events and uh, lost the last two or three championship games that they've been in. But uh, all that was forgotten when they arrived in Los Angeles. And uh, they went after the competition, blowing out quite a few of uh, the teams that they played against. And then they uh, also um, had, a, had one come from behind win that was very impressive. It's a team called Ground Zero from out in Los Angeles, uh, a pretty good team. Um, South Florida Express was down 18 nothing in, in the game and managed to come back. So um, a display of strength in many ways for South Florida Express in the uh, Adidas 7-on-7 National Championship. So I was excited to have Steve Wolfong on later with us talk about it and uh, and also talk about some of the, the uh, prospects that were at the Adidas 7-on-7 Championship. But first, I just want to give a little bit of uh, respect to Adidas for the event that they went on. It's apparent that they put some money on uh, for this event. And if anyone's been paying attention, Adidas has uh, been very strong um, and very aggressive in trying to grab the youth and high school market as of late. And they really displayed that in this event. In uh, the players' lounge, you had uh, guys were able to get haircuts. They were getting haircuts. Um, you could make your own t-shirt. You could post pictures. You could play video games. Um, that was just the players' lounge. And then El Camino College provided a very nice venue. Uh, grass field, turf field, uh, and the officiating. Uh, I didn't see any problems with officiating. And they had the organization um, well under control. Uh, the event was under control. We didn't have any dust-ups, which can be commonplace at some of these 7-on-7 events. You can get, um, you know, some some uh, near tragedy, let's just say. We didn't have any of that at this event. So well-policed, well-officiated. Well put together, so kudos to Adidas for uh, putting this event together. It may be the best seven-on-seven event that I've attended, and that's saying something because I've been, you know, to a number of them over the years. I think I've been involved with seven-on-seven for about seven years or so, uh, seven and even eight years, and this uh, very well may be the, uh, the best event that I saw. <laughs> and yes, as Bragdon, we did have a swole referee out there. That was very interesting. Uh, we will talk about we will talk about that and some other things. Uh, but there were a tremendous amount of uh, great performances that were put down at the Adidas Seven on Seven. And again, Steve Wolfong joins me at around 4:30 Eastern time to talk about um, not only the uh, the event, the competition, but some of the prospects that were on hand. Be so I'm interested to see what. Wilfong has to say about a number of guys that were there and maybe some others that um, he was able to see that maybe I was not. So that's going to be very interesting. What's going on in the news? Uh, draft time, fast approaching April 26th. That is 15 days away. And some young men are going to realize some dreams. Some NFL teams are going to make horrible mistakes um, that will set their franchise back for years. All that's going to be going down starting at about 15 days. And speaking of that, Mel Kuyper has released his three-round mock draft. Um, why do we care? Because whether you like him or not, uh, Mel Kuyper is the preeminent name when it comes to the NFL draft. Whether you like his hairstyle, like what he says, 
like how he looks. Um, he's that guy. He's the uh, grandfather kind of of uh, NFL draft uh, analysis. And while I'm not going to be an ESPN insider to get the full three-round mock draft, I found it interesting that he has Josh Allen going to Cleveland as number one. Now, I do need to explain this. It is not what he thinks is going to happen. It's what he thinks should happen. So uh, he carefully explains that he is pretending to be the GM for each one of the 32 teams, and he is making the pick that he thinks should be made in each one of those spots. And uh, Mel Kuyper thinks that the Cleveland Browns with the number one overall pick should go with Josh Allen. It's not something that I agree with. I don't know how you guys at home feel about that either, but um, it's just not what I think should happen there. The value is not there for Josh Allen as the number one pick overall. Uh, he's not a franchise changer. Now, do I think Josh Allen might be the best quarterback of uh, all of the ones available, uh, perhaps in that first or second round for Cleveland? Um, I would quicker agree with that. But the number one pick overall, um, I don't think so. And I'm already on record as saying I don't think the Cleveland Browns should take a quarterback. Fix the rest of your football team. You've destroyed enough quarterbacks. Okay, fix the rest of your football team. Make sure it's Working the way that it should, then you plug in a quarterback. That might be this year, might be next year, might be two years from now. But fix the rest of your football team, Cleveland, please, before you destroy another single caller's um, NFL career. You've done that 20 times over the last 10 years. 20 guys have taken snaps uh, at quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And so, like, enough is enough already. We don't need um, to see you destroy another guy. We just don't want to see that. So, um, but uh, Mel Kuyper thinks Josh Allen should be taken number one overall. Now, that gets into the whole – every time Josh Allen is mentioned, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, every time they're mentioned, Lamar Jackson also gets mentioned. And I'm not sure where people are going with this. Um, some have tried to make it a racial thing, uh, why Lamar Jackson is being downplayed um, and Josh Allen is not. I'm not uh, in that boat. You know, I just uh, – you know um, – Racism is not um, that overt, people, okay? You kind of got to go digging for it, and I just don't think that that is um, the issue here. What the NFL does love, because it has proven itself time and again, is they love pocket passers. And so they feel Josh Allen, though he is, um, though he is not all that accurate um, and maybe less accurate than – Lamar Jackson, they feel Josh Allen will probably commit himself more to being a pocket passer as opposed to Lamar Jackson. Why is that? Because Lamar Jackson has incredible um, physical tools that he has not been shy in using at the college level. And I know everyone wants to say, hey, things are changing in the NFL. You know, mobile quarterbacks are in. Um, that's a fact. Okay, it's a fad again. This whole RPO, RPO thing, it's a fad. Remember a couple of years ago they wanted to do zone reads and it worked well for a year or two and then quarterbacks started getting folded like love letters and it went away. And once again, they're trying to add the element of running around with the ball with quarterback um, and it's going to run its course. Okay, Where do you saw Carson Wentz go down running around with the ball and the Eagles – Whole season almost went up in flames. Thank God for Nick Foles, 
who is also, you know, mobile and athletic, but can distribute the ball down the field. And so, you know, people want to point to the Eagles and their system and how Carson Wentz could move and run with the ball, and Nick Foles did the same. Okay, nothing's determined in one year in this league. So after NFL defensive coordinators and defenders have had an entire offseason to dissect what it is the Philadelphia Eagles are doing, um, let's see what that looks like next year. I'm just telling you there is a salary cap in the NFL, quarterbacks get paid a lot of money, and no owner wants to see his quarterback running around with the football. So I've already killed this topic um, time and again. But, you know, if you're trying to make the whole Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson thing um, a thing on race, I, I would pull up on that and really just pay attention. I mean, this same NFL picked Jameis Winston number one overall, picked Jamarcus Russell number one overall, and those two guys have something in common other than their race, and that is they're pocket passers. They don't run around with the football. And that's just what this league loves. So I would get off of that if I were you. But I want to get back to the topic that I brought up uh, when we started this thing. Why are people hating on 7-on-7 seven seven to the degree that they are? You know, I've heard some of the comments about, uh, you know, the coaches being uh, a little bit over the top. Um, a, a place for mentors to hang around, and you know what I mean by that. I've heard all that, but it just seems now that the uh, hate on seven on seven is just going over over overboard. And if you're here listening, um, who here thinks that guys can get offers from seven on seven? Now, this is a question I'm going to bring up to Steve Wilpong. We'll talk about that. But I'm here to tell you, you may not get a direct offer from seven on seven. You know, it would be tough for me to try and sell y'all on that, although I've seen it happen. I will say this. As by way of your performance in a seven-on-seven season, you can draw interest to you, the recruit, and if you want to call it in an indirect way, you could then be offered a scholarship. So whereas you didn't have any type of exposure, no one was watching your highlight video or talking to your high school football coach about you because you were just kind of hidden at your high school or in your region or wherever you were, you get out on a seven-on-seven circuit and you start making a name for yourself and there's a buzz about you and you go to one of these national events put on by Adidas or IMG or anyone else and uh, you make yourself a couple plays and you draw some interest from the recruiting um, media, let's say, or, you know, the recruiting Let's just say you draw some recruiting interest from people who talk about recruiting, and it can now draw interest to your highlight video, to your high school coach. And it can very well result in you becoming um, a prospect, getting offers. This happens, and I don't know why people are trying to say that it doesn't, um, especially if you're from one of the hotbeds like South Florida or um, you're from Florida or Texas or California. You damn well know that this happens, so why deny that it does? I'm starting to try, I'm trying to understand the dynamic that is going on now between seven-on-seven coaches and high school football coaches because there seems to be some kind of a war going on. So, you know, I'm asking that question. If anyone can give me an answer on that, I would certainly love to hear um, you guys' thoughts on why people are hating so hard on -on seven-on-seven. You know, it was understandable at first, but now it's just a little bit overboard. Hey, another thing, too. 
uh, that I wanted to talk about was, you know, in in the wake of South Florida Express going out to the Adidas Seven on Seven National Championships, which was in Los Angeles and featured several California teams, and going through the tournament and winning in the fashion that they did again, nine and zero, did not lose a game, um, and and winning the championship. A number of those California teams and people who follow them who are from out west are asking um, this question: Why was a team from Florida able to come into Los Angeles, play the way that they did, and walk out of there with a victory in the fashion that they did. And that is the question that people um, were asking out west. Um, and they're starting to ask other questions like, hey, are, are, are we getting soft? Um, why are we not on that level? Are the South Florida or the Florida teams just more hungry uh, than we are uh, out west? These are the questions that they're asking. And, uh, you know, here are my thoughts on that. It's, I don't think you, you need to get that deep into it. You had a tournament. Uh, you had a team from South Florida that was well put together, great group of kids that were able to practice together. That's something that um, should not be lost. You know, someone who coached on South Florida Express for several years, um, I'm here to tell you that, Practicing was a chore. weren't always able to do it, and the results would would show oftentimes when we went to uh, some of the tournaments. You know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if everything's not, everyone's not on the same page, it really doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, people are still talking about a roster that we took to an IMG tournament uh, maybe four years ago, and um, it was the greatest roster I think anyone could could ask for, and ultimately, uh, we lost to Team Tampa, who did not have quite the same roster, not by a long shot, but they did practice together quite a bit, so there's something to be said for that. Um, Ricky Williams believes South Florida Express won like that because of their general manager. I'm not sure who that is. Anyone know? Anyone know who the general manager is for South Florida Express? Someone Google that. Let us know. But Ricky, for some reason, is convinced the general manager had everything to do with that. Nevertheless, getting back to things here, uh, those folks out west are asking, hey, are they hungrier? I think it just boils down to um, South Florida Express had a really good team, um, and they came to this event, and they were able to play well together. It's not anything where we need to um, – they need to have a complete overhaul of how they do things in each region. You know, uh, I've been to IMG, which is in Bradenton, Florida, and the – I think one year Boom came down there. Now Boom's from the Midwest, came to South Florida or came to Bradenton at IMG and prevailed, won the tournament. And that means beat several South, South Florida teams um, and beat several teams from the state of Florida. Uh, and no one went crazy saying uh, things need to change in the region. So it just boiled down to a really good South Florida Express team um, that was – you know, sometimes you're just able to put a good group of guys together. And I think that's what happened here. Now, I wasn't coaching on the team. I was there in a media capacity. I flipped over to the media now, flipped over to the dark side. But uh, nevertheless, um, I was there observing things, and it's just a great group of kids. And they were able to practice, and that means something. So um, that, as much as anything else, played a part in the success. Um, the other thing that, you know, people are asking about, 
or making reference to is how, um, you know, a team like South Florida Express is an all-star team. And it's put together with guys that don't all go to the same school. Well, you have the same thing out in California. So I don't even know why they brought that up. You've got a premier premium gas, um, premium diamond, I think it was also, ground zero. These teams are not comprised of kids all from one high school. So uh, I'm not even sure how that came up. South Florida Express, while very, very talented, is not the best of the best. That used to be what South Florida Express was in the early days where there were no other teams in South Florida. But at this point in time now, you've got several other teams in South Florida. Um, you've got, you know, Fire that has several teams. Um, you've got Strong Arm that has several teams. You've got a number of other, you know, outfits that have seven-on-seven teams now. So it's not South Florida Express getting anyone and whoever they want. That's not the case. So I don't see that it's that much different than, you know, anything that's going on out in Texas where they grab kids from several different schools or uh, California where they grab kids from several different schools. Um, and, you know, a team like Boom that grabs a number of kids from throughout the Midwest. So there's really nothing different there. So that did not play at all. But they're asking a lot of questions out West about um, how they're doing things and how South Florida Express can walk into uh, their backyard and sweep through the thing going 9-0 and and walk out of there with the gold chains and the big flag. Um, and so it's just interesting to see some of that going on. Just on some side news before I get Steve Wilfong on here with us to talk about some recruiting. Hey, have you ever gone to the airport and maybe joked with a friend or family member while you were going through there about um, a weapon or bomb? I'm here to tell you, don't do it. Don't ever do it. Um, Packers wide receiver Trevor Davis got himself into some hot water, and it was just as simple as this. Listen to the story. They go to the counter. The normal questions are being asked, and, you know, one of the normal questions is, do you have um, any explosives, hazardous materials in your bag? And Trevor Davis looks at his girlfriend and goes, did you remember to pack the explosives? A joke that failed miserably. How bad did it fail? Uh, they called for the police. And the police came and took Trevor Davis away in handcuffs off of that simple joke. Not the kind of joke you want to tell in an airport, but that just goes to tell you and to show you just how serious that thing is. He cracked a joke, it missed badly, and he got put in handcuffs and uh, now got hit with a charge. So that is very interesting. For all of you guys out there that are still trying to play ball or think you have a tremendous mountain to climb, uh, I want you guys to go look up the story. That took place last night for the L.A. Lakers with uh, Andre Ingram. He'd been in G League for 10 years, um, chasing his dream to play in the NBA. Um, you have to think 10 years in, you're just thinking, well, this is never going to happen. So um, the Lakers brought him for his exit interview from the G League, which is uh, ending right about now, brought him to Lakers headquarters, and uh, they're doing the normal go about in the G League exit um, interviews and in walks Magic Johnson and other executives for the L.A. Lakers, and they let Andre Ingram know that they're bringing him up. Uh, and I thought that was a great story. If you have a chance, it is all, um, it was all captured on video, so go search for that. shouldn't be that hard to find. I think I've seen it all over my timeline today, whether that was Twitter or Facebook, but 
10 years in the G League, finally gets his call, goes out there last night, scores 19 points, by the way, did not disappoint. Um, four or five from three. I think he's the all-time um, three-point leader in G League history. Um, and he brought that game with him to the big leagues. So he didn't fall flat on his face. Andre Ingram went out there and contributed um, and did so well in his first game for the L.A. Lakers. There are only two games remaining in the season. But, uh, you know, this doesn't turn into anything else. Andre Ingram can say, uh, you know, I made it to the big leagues. So for any of you guys out there that are still trying to make it, uh, if you persevere and you put in the work, good things can happen for you. So kudos to Andre Ingram for uh, getting that done. So um, in just a moment, I'm going to be bringing Steve Wilfong on with me to talk um, recruiting here on the Gridiron Stud Show. So um, it's going to be uh, interesting to hear some of his thoughts that he has on this. Again, I would really like to know why people are hating so bad on 7-on-7. Seven on seven. Uh, one of my listeners, Tavares Bragdon, has brought up several things. Um, they feel like recruiting is going on um, and so on and so forth. Is it anything more than that? Because the hate is just, uh, as they say, the hate is real. And I am um, sensing um, a lot of it, more of it. And people are going out of their way to discredit 7-on-7. Seven seven. I will just say this. Um, a big thing that I see going on with seven, or the big thing that you get out of seven on seven, and I've always said this, is the competition. Yeah, are some of the routes unrealistic? Absolutely. When a guy goes in motion and he runs a route um, right through where the guard or center would be, yeah, not realistic. When a guy is able to make two or three, four moves at the line of scrimmage because uh, the quarterback is back there sitting cool and calm uh, while a T counts down to four seconds, not the most realistic thing in the world. Um, and we can go on and on about how it might be unrealistic for the quarterback who gets a clear vision down the field. However, it is competition. And if you think someone is not getting better by doing seven on seven as opposed to sitting at home, then you're, you know, being dishonest with yourself. Um, the competition in seven-on-seven seven is extremely intense. And so while it may not um, accurately mimic the real game in the fashion in which you may want it to, I will tell you this, seeing this um, with my own two eyes, with my own two children, as well as with several other guys that have come up that I've coached both on the uh, regular high school field and watched them play in seven-on-seven, seven, the competition really prepares you mentally for the regular season. I mean, some of the pressure that these guys find themselves in in a seven-on-seven event um, is beyond some of the pressures that they will probably ever face in, in, on the high school football field. Now, some of these guys will play an entire season and not find themselves in a meaningful game or a game with playoff implications. And even if they do, there's something about seven-on-seven that's more one-on-one. The pressure is more personal um, and and you know, really develops the character of a kid or reveals it. And for that reason alone, seven on seven is very, very valuable. The competition part of it, because it is all competition. And if you can excel in this competitive atmosphere, um, then it bodes well for what it is you're able to do when the regular season rolls around. As much as you can find yourself in those pressure situations, it only stands to make you better, tougher, um, and more ready when the regular season rolls around. And that's the best thing that I have found 7-on-7 gives. We can go on and on about 
you know, whether or not it's real football. We know that it's not. And I don't think anyone is trying to say that it is. Now, granted, some coaches will thump their chest. Um, some seven-on-seven coaches will thump their chest and feel like Nick Saban should give them a job if uh, they happen to have some success. That part uh, may be annoying to folks, but you just look past that. that that's, you know, those are adults trying to uh, live out their fantasies. But for the kids, I think it's a great thing. And uh, I think this is a good opportunity now for me to bring on Steve Wilfong, who's probably seen a number of seven-on-seven events in his day. Steve, it's Chad Wilson. Great to have you on. Good night, show. Chad, a pleasure to be on your show. Really had fun hanging out with you uh, over the weekend and, and uh, enjoyed talking football with you. And then obviously enjoyed watching the South Florida Express uh, perform at such a high level to go undefeated in that tournament and, and win a championship. Uh, in, against that caliber of competition was real impressive. And, and a couple of those games, uh, they were tight, and, 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 and those young men had to, to man up and, and make some plays on both sides of the ball uh, to, to, get the, to get the win and bring the trophy back across the country. And, and, and obviously uh, enjoyed uh, listening to you talk about people's perception of seven-on-seven uh, as I waited on the line for you to introduce me and, and uh, um, agree with a lot of the points you've made for sure. Yeah, I don't know quite where to start, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at this. Um, I've been in some message boards that are heavy California, heavy Southern California, and right now it seems they're trying to pick up the pieces um, as they don't understand how uh, a team from Florida could come into their backyard, so to speak, and sweep through the event, not lose a game, and, you know, handle a number of opponents and walk away with the championship right out of their backyard. So um, my thought is this. I don't think, you know, any big changes need to be made. I just think um, you haven't had a really good team put together, um, and they came out and won a tournament. It could have been a team from from, uh, Texas that could have done it. So I don't know that it's necessarily a regional thing. It's just sometimes you got a really good team. Yeah, I mean, a team from California could want it easily. I, I don't think a team Midwest Boom has won national championships from before out of the Chicago land. So it, it can come from anywhere, and you don't have to have a. My South Florida Express, uh, Brett Getz said he thinks all 21 guys are going to go Division One. You don't need 21 Division Division One guys. A seven on seven, like he said, is different. Some of it's not realistic, and it's coached differently. And you put your you put your players. In a, in a different kind of position to succeed in seven-on-seven. Seven. But it just came together for South Florida Express in this tournament because in, I just think 21 guys over the course of eight or nine games or however many uh, they played to win, different guys stepped up at different times uh, to, to help this team win. It was just such a talented football team, and, and guys really came through for them. Steve Wolfong from 247 Sports joins us here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Um, you know, I, I got into this discussion about seven-on-seven seven and why um, people seem to be hating on it so much. Um, I, I know people – I've heard people say, well, you can't get an offer from seven-on-seven. Seven. Do you agree with that, or have you seen otherwise? I completely 100% disagree with it. Interesting. You can absolutely, you can absolutely get an offer from seven on seven. Here's an offer fresh in my mind. While I was standing on the uh, field 
um, with you, Jace mm-hmm. Bowen, a receiver from Toledo, Toledo Central Catholic, one of the best programs in the Buckeye State, always a contender to win a championship, committed to Michigan State. So I saw Jace Bowen for the first time at the Under Armour camp in Cleveland. No college coaches are allowed at the Under Armour camp in Cleveland a couple months ago. He did have an offer for Minnesota. He had a couple mid-majors, had a terrific junior year, was committed to Notre Dame to play baseball at the time. Mm -hmm. Tears up the Under Armour camp. He's the 24-7 sports alpha dog from the camp, number one performer, 100 100 Division I guys on the field. He's the number one performer. Next thing you know, he gets a bunch of offers, not because of his performance base, not just because of what he did at the Cleveland Under Armour, there were no college coaches there. But what happened was is that his name is all of a sudden going in articles. His name is all of a sudden going across social media. People are shooting videos of him from the camp and putting it out on social media. We're writing good things about him. Other uh, people in the recruiting industry are writing good things about him. And college coaches, if they're doing their job or paying attention to every avenue, and mo- most of them are, and they say, oh, this Jace Bone, what was our eval on him? Did we eval him? Do we need to go back and recheck our eval? Next thing you know, he's got he, you know, he's he's landing some pretty significant offers and commits to a, a program in Michigan State that's going to start the season ranked in the top ten. So, uh, countless examples like that. I could bore you, but coaches aren't at events. Doesn't mean that it's not providing exposure for young men. And college coaches are looking at these events and seeing who's performed well. And people say the film doesn't lie. Film absolutely lies. Okay, in the sense that. I live in Indianapolis. We have a top 247 receiver uh, from Indianapolis. But how many big-time Division One defensive backs is he lining up against in 11-on-11 full-pad football in his conference? And even down there in the state where you're uber-talented, mm-hmm. you know, there's a handful of Division One guys on each team. How much are they actually tested, Division One versus Division One in ball games? You know, exactly. that I think that – in this setting, in this setting, Frank Ladson was lining up across from a Division One corner, pretty much the whole tournament. You, you know what I'm saying? And so, so tape lies. I can't stand when people say it doesn't lie. It absolutely lies when you're an offensive tackle that is superior, physically dominant to every single cat that you're you're blocking on a Friday night. And then when you get to college, you're 18 years old and you got a 21-year-old grown-ass man across the line of scrimmage from you. How is your tape from high school relevant? But when you go to the opening and you're in full pads at the opening finals and you're doing one-on-ones, yes, I, like you said, some of the routes in 7-7 aren't realistic. Some of the, sure. the pass-rushing moves and things that you're going to see in a one-on-one blocking drill isn't realistic, but that's still mano-a-mano, full pads banging each other. That's some. That's two Division One guys going at it in in the opening camp setting. And then just to add to it, there's a mm-hmm. reason why college coaches go on the road and and uh, evaluate kids in their practice or when they have. I go to Ohio State's Friday Night Lights. Uh, yeah. They're running the same type of one-on-one drills that they're running at the Nike camp. It just you know Urban Meyer is on the field and I and so that definitely makes Ohio State's Friday Night Lights camp more advantageous. And I'll never be the one to say that a, a a Nike camp or an Under Armour camp or an Adidas camp is more beneficial than a college camp. But for people to say that they are 
are ridiculous or useless or dumb is, is, is wrong. And it's a lot of people that are just traditionalists that don't like change. And that's yeah. the college coaches. I would imagine that, coaches, yeah, I would imagine that that is the case. There's just a lot of uh, old schoolers and there's change coming and people just have to, you know, learn to deal with it. I always, this is the advice that I always give guys when it comes to those camps, because they have people that downplay them. They say, oh, they're just um, they're a waste of time or they're just getting your money. Well, it's not. If all of the best kids in your region are going to them, it's your opportunity to get yourself matched up against some of the best in your area because you're not going to be able to do that just by playing your high school schedule. Sure. And, mo- and most of these camps are free. You know, not, not all of them, but most of them are. And, and, and to add, add on to uh, what I was saying, you get every once in a while you get grumpy college coach on Twitter that says, I don't look at seven on seven film or I don't, or, or we don't care. Well, most of the time I would venture to say that those coaches are not on staffs that win a lot of ball games. Second, they're lying. There's someone in their office that's paying attention to it. Maybe you don't. Third, you're probably not a great recruiter. Okay. Because the kids care about seven on seven. So I don't understand your angle. So I would assume that a college coach that's saying negative things about seven on seven, that's going to be a turnoff to a young man like Jarvis Brownlee, you know, who loves it, obviously. Love South yeah. Florida Express. These are his buddies. Like, well, what's the what's your angle? But and I'll add another layer that I didn't really think of that uh, uh, a Power Five coach in the state of Texas put on my radar because it's a huge deal in Texas. There's a huge rift between the high school coaches and the seven on seven coaches in Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and the coach, the college coach, made an interesting point that now it's their livelihood in the state of Texas. Those coaches are getting paid a high salary, they're not teachers, they're football coaches, and they can, get, they can get fired. They can get fired if their best player goes to play for Fast Houston and gets hurt and can't play for them the next season. But I still think that's still a selfish mindset. I mean, the, the kid's still got to live his life. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and there's just a, a very old-school mentality in, in, in the state of Texas. You know, there, there's, there's places – in Texas that won't credential 24-7 sports for games. And it's like, wow. bro, we're the eighth largest sports site on the Internet. Like, we're bigger than sportsillustrated.com on the Internet. Uh, we're, we're up there with the heavy hitters. Our Facebook presence is one. We get more Facebook traffic than ESPN. But you're being petty because you think – because they're old school and they got us in a window. That's uh, mm-hmm. the way they were perceived our industry in the 90s, you right. know. And and, and, and so I think a lot of it is traditionalist. I can't stand when grumpy high school coach writes stuff for football scoop saying college coaches don't care. I'll never act like what we say is the end all be all, but Mm -hmm. a lot of them have relationships and they like our, our opinion. and, And the ones that are good at it grab as many opinions as possible. They put it all in a bucket. They form their own opinion. And they're just always collecting information. It's just an information collection all the way up until signing day. Sure, and that's what the uh, NFL teams do. Uh, they do the same thing. So they try and grab little pieces of nuggets each and everywhere um, that they can. Um, let's get back to the on the field play. What was your biggest takeaway from this weekend and watching the action over those two days? Uh, that's such a loaded question. Uh, again, yeah. it was a it was a fantastic tournament. 
with a lot of a lot of great teams and we already we already touched on South Florida Express so why don't we just go into the team that South Florida Express beat in the finals the Tennessee Dream team uh, just to give people a perception of the 7 on 7 they now their team they had a young man committed to Virginia but they were basically made up of just young kids that were well coached now Florida Express took it to them twice but they beat some really good teams to get to the championship to play a South Florida Express team that it just didn't their their tricks or their game plan just didn't matter. I, I gotta be honest with you. Um, when they got to the semifinal um, and they were lined up there getting ready to play, I'm gonna be honest. When I uh, when I looked at them, I said, "How did they get here?" You know, that was my initial thought. Um, having coached this game for a while, though, I quickly dismissed that and say. They got here for a reason, so they probably play really well together. But if you look to one side of the field and then the other, you're just saying, man, um, on on visuals, this is a this is a you know a mismatch. And so they have to get to that point. And it was a mismatch, but at the same time, those guys were young. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm writing about some of those guys down the road. Uh, they were a pretty young team, and. Uh, they beat some veteran teams with some dudes on it to get there. They just – the South Florida Express team was just completely different. And um, I was uh, um, I, I was kind of talking to some people. Like, the, the it, it, it really just – Jarvis Brownlee, it wasn't even all the high-profile guys. You you had uh, uh, on offense, Marcus Fleming was the, the dynamic guy. Um, throughout the whole tournament. But obviously you had the wow play by Kenny McIntosh. Frank Ladson uh, really flexed his muscles, uh, especially at the big moments there in the championship. John Dunmore made some ridiculous defense. Uh, The safeties were terrific. Um, When when you're talking about Jordan Battle and and Josh Sanguetti, obviously we're we're super high on Tyreek Stevenson and his upside at 24-7 sports with him and and, and Jaden Davis. Uh, made made plays. I, I feel like Baron Grant flashed at times. It was just uh, a ridiculous team. And in addition to that, all those guys seem to be pretty competitive. Sometimes you get you get a, a, a team that guys are talented, but they don't really give a damn, you know, or they just don't have the maturity, the maturity. Um, and, and and it just seemed like there were a lot of mature guys. And then obviously the quarterback. We haven't even mentioned Scalzo. He played well. Um, yeah, he took command of things, you know, and granted, this is someone that um, I had to coach against four times in the last two years um, because he's in the district with American Heritage. So already had a certain amount of respect for him going into the competition, but just to really have a chance to be around him full time, so to speak, for uh, those two days and then watch him up close, have command of all the troops um, as you know, South Florida's offense was doing their thing. It was uh, it was impressive. I, I will say that. What you know? What what are your thoughts on Nick Scalzi? Well, I don't know what his upside is in college. I mean, I'm five nine and a half. He's a shade taller than me. So there's not a lot of guys in college that are in that range where you point to and say, "All right, you know, let's go." But obviously, plays for a really good high school program in college played for the South Florida Express for years. He's got a, he's confident and he knows what it looks like. And, uh, you know, he's got some opportunities. So we'll see. I know he's visiting Kent state this week. He's obviously visiting Kentucky on Thursday. Um, so 
uh, we'll see, but certainly uh, was impressed with his performance over the weekend and um, look forward to seeing what happens to him next. I want to talk about Jordan Battle, uh, the safety. I, I mean, in my eyes, he's been he's underrated. He's having a tremendous offseason. It's following up the way uh, a good second half and close out to his season, his regular season with St. Thomas. I just think he's on such a roll right now. What does 247 think about Jordan Battle, his upside, where he is now, and what he could do before he leaves out of high school? Gotcha. So at 24-7 Sports, for your listeners that aren't aware, excuse me, uh, the 24/7 Sports composite is a is 24/7 Scout and or 24/7 Sports Rivals and ESPN's rankings combined, which mm-hmm. Jordan Battle pops in at number 30, but uh, mm-hmm. in, in in the safety rankings. But for 24/7 Sports, we have them number eight, so we write, we have them ranked a lot higher than our peers. Yeah. But seeing them this weekend, eight may be too low. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you, you talked about the instincts. The change of direction, quickness, flash to me, uh, the the amount of space he can cover quickly because of those instincts and because of his being such a fluid athlete, it makes him really rangy, and, and, and he and he was terrific and and uh, he's one of the best safeties I've seen on the camp circuit this year, and even though we have him ranked firmly in the top two four seven, stock up on him and I think he's going to continue to rise in our twenty four seven sports top two four seven player rankings. You mentioned um, Frank Ladson. Um, it was a, a chance for me to really, you know, really a first chance for me to see him up close. I was very impressed. Obviously passes the eyeball test, very long, very tall. Um, one of the things was, I was surprised with was his consistent ability to be able to get behind people. So along with being um, having the height, 6'4", and some change, um, he displayed the speed to constantly and consistently get behind folks um, and, and, and catch the deal. And if he was instrumental in getting Southwood Express back from a, an 18 nothing um, deficit versus ground zero. Give me your thoughts on Frank Ladson. Well, if you look at the 247 sports receiver rankings, seven of the top 11 receivers in the country were in this tournament. Seven of the mm-hmm. top 11. And Frank Ladson, we ranked number two. 64170 very first play of the championship game 40 40 yard go route he gets behind the defense touchdown next possession for South Florida Express he catches catches a crossing route beats the defender around the corner gets into the end zone for like a 15 yard score or or whatever it was so he can get it done in a lot of ways i think with frank uh, you talk about his his frame it's long and lean he's got so much physical upside from a strength standpoint when he gets into a college weight program wherever he goes um, but he's obviously a performer he's got terrific ball skills he's got a terrific frame and a terrific skill set uh, we rank him as the number two receiver in the country like I said and after seeing him in person for two days I don't think we're wrong yeah um, you know obviously I can't talk about all of the South Florida Express guys which you alluded to, you got contributions from everybody on that roster. Um, at some point in, in one of those games or uh, many of those games, um, someone on defense um, made a contribution that was a big play, and then you got all kinds of um, production from guys on offense. I want to switch to a guy that wasn't on South Florida Express, and that's Chris Steele. He's one of the top corners out west. Playing with Fast Houston, did that surprise you at all? It did because he's been on pro way at every other tournament I've been at that he's played in. 
Um, but that's seven on seven for you. Um, and Chris is really connected with those Houston guys and on college visits and, and wanted to play with them in a tournament. And, and so he played with them and I thought he was terrific. He's a young man where not much came his way because he was a blanket. He was a, fero- he's a ferocious competitor. And, um, he also took some reps at safety, but he's a guy, he's not, he's not one of them guys out there trying to bait the quarterback to throw his way. He's, he's doing his assignment at, at the top level and he's, you know, quick and, 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 and long and, and, and physical checks all the boxes at the, at the corner position. And in the games I saw, I thought he he was pretty flawless. I didn't catch every fast Houston game though. And obviously they lost a couple. Um, so I don't know if his, his play was as flawless throughout the two days, but, but when I saw him, you know, I, he was one of the better corners that I saw in action. Yeah. Um, a, a guy that I've been um, quite impressed with, um, is Max Williams out of Sarah High School. You know, I, I knew him before I got out there. I do love him um, and watched a couple of games when South Florida Express wasn't playing, and he appeared to be someone that people wanted to stay away from. Uh, what do you guys think of Max Williams? So we like Max. We have him in the top 247, number 18 corner overall, and he's physical now. Um, and uh, the way college football is trending, there's definitely a spot for him with all these spread offenses and some of these all-purpose backs and, and slot receivers that aren't extremely tall, but they're very shifty. Uh, that's a guy that Max can come in and check one-on-one, can reroute and, and do some things. But we don't have Max ranked as high just from the pure standpoint that what's Max Williams going to do against guys like Jaden Hazelwood and Frank Ladson in college, especially after – Frank Ladson and Jaden Hazelwood get in the college weight program. Uh, I mean, there, there, there's a reason why we don't see a ton of five-eight corners in the NFL, and he's five-eight. You, you know, and, and that's another. We go back to the original of the tape. He's tremendous. He is a tremendous high school football player, and he was really good in this setting too. But when you start thinking long term, and yeah, you start thinking what some of these receivers look like, uh, particularly in the SEC and, and, and Big Ten, and it, it's a he's he's a niche corner on the next level, in my opinion. But he's a guy that I think every program could use because you're going to play offenses that like spread you out, and they're going to use those smaller, shiftier guys. And I know Max is going to tackle in, in space. He's going to play with a lot of courage. Uh, he's mm-hmm. going to be physical. But you, you you talk about a, another sh- uh, defensive back, like a Buki Radley-Hiles who signed with Oklahoma in last year's class. Buki's over 200 pounds. He can play safety. He'll come up and hit you. He's mm. not he's not extremely tall either, but he's 5'9 right. he's not 5'10", he's built like a running back. Right. He'll come up and he's a Bob Sanders type. He'll, he'll hit you. And mm. I'm not saying Max won't get that. You know, for us, we're a little lower than the composite. The composite ranks him as the 11th ranked corner. We're 18th. But, I mean, just talking candidly, not a lot of guys that look like him in the NFL. Our rankings are based on NFL. We have 32 five-stars for first-round draft picks. Four-star means we think you're going to get drafted. Three-star means we think you're a two-year starter at a Power 5 school. I know I may take a lot of flack for that, but that's probably more where – it's probably a better bet that Max is a contributor in college and doesn't play in the NFL. Well, that's interesting. I hope I'm getting 
I didn't know you that. Know, I, 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 I don't say that negatively. No, I, I, I totally understand. I think fit is going to be, um, as someone who's, you know, I, I know a little something about defensive backs, I think fit is going to be important for Max, um, not only at, in college, but um, should an NFL career materialize for him, um, fit will also be important for him there too as well. So, you know, I understand and everything. He can return kicks. He, right, he exactly. can return kicks for you. And, and, and again, he's, a, he's smart. And like you said when we were watching, he's an absolute technician. He is well coached. Um, and he's a great player. I take him on my college team all day, uh, every day. And uh, um, uh, who knows, maybe the NFL is going to evolve in a way where you'll see more Max Williams play on Sunday. But you have a boy that plays in Indianapolis where I live. Uh, how many NFL corners do you see that have the frame Max Williams has? I mean, are there any? Well, no, that's not necessarily what they're going for. But as it turned out um, through injuries last year on the Colts, the guy that started on the opposite side of Quincy the last five or six games ended up being a five foot nine um, undrafted rookie free agent. He kind of held his own, but they're they're they're, uh, they're outliers at this point. But like you said, who knows? It may involve back into that because when I was playing, five um, ten is what guys were looking for, and if you were too tall. They didn't really want you playing corner. So who knows? You know, the game goes up and it goes down. I did learn something in listening to you just there. I didn't realize that you guys only have 32 five-stars, and you do that to mimic first-round picks for the, uh, for the you know, for the NFL. Could you tell me more about how the recruiting ranking process works at 247, how you guys go about coming down with your, your final top 100? How, how, is, how is that constructed? Because I think a lot of people listening like to know. Yeah, so a lot, oftentimes you also hear people joke and say those guys never played before. Those guys couldn't work in college football offices. Uh, so I'm the director of recruiting. I'm in charge of staying up of the storylines, the recruiting storylines, what schools are doing, who's going where. Our director of scouting, who I work side-by-side side with, is Barton Simmons, um, who was your starter at Yale. Play, uh, was among the interception all-time interception leaders at Yale, smart guy that also played for a great high school program um, and uh, 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 that was nationally ranked at one state championships in Tennessee. He absolutely could work for college. Um, but uh, he created the form or he's one of the guys that created the formula. 32 first round dra- draft picks we're going to have because the, the, we're a niche we still view our rankings as a niche deal. And the mainstream media around the NFL draft is when they like to reflect on our rankings. So we're trying to be as right as possible. So when folks are like, so-and-so was ranked this and he got drafted this, you know, that's, that's our aim. So if we rank you as the number 55 player in the country, we think you're a second round pick basically, you know? Uh, And then again, three, three star recruit means we think you're a two year starter at a power five program which is a really good ranking. You know, some some people don't like the three-star grade, but uh, I think that if you're a three-star recruit, that means that we respect uh, your your abilities and upside, and, and, and then, yeah, go prove us wrong. You know, obviously we get proven wrong, and uh, 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 college programs get proven wrong when a young man uh, goes to Tulane and is one of the fastest players in the country, and LSU didn't offer him, and neither did any other program in the SEC. So, uh, people are going to get proven wrong, but I will say that uh, with all these seven-on-seven deals, 
and with all these Nike camps and Under Armour camps and, and, and the opening and the Army Bowl and the Under Armour game, you're getting an opportunity to see these young men play against their peers that are on the same level. And with that, the rankings have gotten better. The rankings were not so good when you were only watching film. Right. Because you, didn't, you, you weren't get able to see these young men in the same environment. And so um, we're, we're, we're big on verified athleticism. We try and find uh, track times and track throws, and we're big mm-hmm. on multi-sport. So wrestlers, basketball players, um, and then guys that are high performers uh, in, in those sports. Um, the, the receiver in Indianapolis I mentioned early on, he hit the game-winning shot in the basketball semi-state to send his team to the state finals. I mean, that just shows the kind of – nuts he has for lack of better words for him to go coast to coast and and hit that floater uh, and Mm -hmm. be the team's leading scorer throughout the season on a team that won a state championship you know that that stuff means something you know uh i think and so playing multiple sports and 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 performing at a high level um, performing well at camp we, we we talked about seven on seven um would you guys downplay a quarterback if he was not a part of seven on seven, have you guys ever had a number one quarterback, let's say over the last five, six, seven years, really the years where seven on seven has taken off. Have you had a guy um, in the top three who didn't participate in seven on seven? No, um, uh, we don't downplay it. We obviously we, we like that they do it. And, and the thing I'm judging quarterbacks on in those settings is just consistency, throwing the football and accuracy. I recognize that the routes aren't real and the throwing lanes aren't real, but do you consistently spin it? Do you have arm talent? Are you, are you accurate uh, consistently? Uh, those are traits you can find on the camp setting. Um, but with, with the quarterback rankings and with most of these, we have, scouts that live across the country, guys that uh, work for We have tremendous guys in California, Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins. We have guys in Texas, Gabe Brooks. We have guys in Florida, Andrew Ivins, Luke Stampini. Uh, we have guys across the country. We're going to see these guys in person. And, and so for the quarterback position, Trevor Lawrence wasn't on a seven-on-seven team, the number one ranked recruit in the country last year. But you see him in person. You see him at the Elite 11. You see him at the opening. You see you, Cartersville was on TV. We send people to his games. So it, it, that's kind of how you get your information. But for quarterback, that's the hardest position to evaluate because, as you know, for them it's not just talent. Uh, certainly accuracy is the most important trait for a quarterback, in my opinion. But then it's so between the ears, understanding the scheme, understanding what the defense is trying to do, understanding protection, understanding where to go with the football, all those things, you could be the most talented individual in the world, but if you don't have a a sense for where to go with the football or you don't understand what the coverages are or how to uh, check into the right play, it doesn't matter that you're accurate. It doesn't matter that you can throw the football 70 yards. So for those guys that are going to slow it down from level to level, it's hard. So for me personally, I'm try- I just started looking over the last two years at high completion percentages and low interception totals. Those those are the markers I'm trying to go off of now. Right. Um, yeah, and that's and that's understandable. And I'm sure over time you guys will will tweak things and you know try to get better and better at this. 
um, as much as you can. I do want to bring this up. You know, I happen to be sitting in the locker room in between one of those long extended breaks that you had um, on Sunday in the Adidas National 7-on-7 championships. And the team from Hawaii had just been eliminated. I think it's Team 808. And they came in, Steve, and um, some of those kids were in tears. They were um, punching lockers, um, swearing, more upset than any 7-on-7 team that um, I think I've ever personally witnessed. And it kind of spoke to just how much this means to them, how much the competition means to them, and just how hungry they are. Um, have you observed the same thing from this teammate away from Hawaii? Well, I got, I got a chance got a chance to get to know them over the weekend, and they were undefeated in pool play, and had the expectations to win the whole thing, and and they prepare for this. And uh, football is something that they love down on the island, and this was a big deal for them. And they were great sports coming off the field when they lost that game to Hustle Inc. to be eliminated, a really talented team out of the Atlanta area. They were great sports. Their coach was a great sport. Uh, and, and uh, I even talked to them after they lost about some of the guys because I'm going to do a story on them this week. Um, so the, they walked off the field, and then in private, you saw them in private. And mm-hmm. so that was different, you know. And that's fine. It's in the locker room, right? You know. Yeah. But when they left the field, they were they were grown men when they left mm-hmm. the field and handled it, handled it as well as you could. Uh, mm-hmm. flying where they – I mean, they flew from the island and had the expectation to win the whole thing. And on the first day, they looked as, every bit as good as South Florida Express from when you look at how many points they scored and what they gave up and and uh, beat some good teams they too. Uh, um, right, I, um, I think they came out of pool play as the number one team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you may be right. So, they're, you know um, – it, meant, it means something to them. So it goes back to my original point. Why are you downgrading seven-on-seven? Seven? Like, how does that help you on the trail? Like, what's your goal as a college coach to, like, take away from it when these kids obviously care about it so much? Yeah, um, and then I heard a discussion about it um, where they're saying, you know, these the, the kids from Hawaii seem to be so hungry <laughs> while the uh, kids from California and Texas and Los Angeles seem to um, – they get so much. They get shoes. They get gear. They get all of these things, and maybe um, they're not as hungry as maybe they were when Seven on Seven originally started. So um, I, I thought it was an interesting comparison. Well, I would think there's probably been South Florida Express teams that are more hungry than others. It just depends on the group of guys you got in the locker room and what their mindset is, you know? Right. Right. No, I, I would uh, definitely agree. We'll see. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out to come on with us. I know it's a busy time of year for you. It's the off season, uh, visits are going on. So appreciate you taking the time to come on and recap and talk recruiting with us on the Good Iron Section. It was fun, and I really enjoyed talking ball with you on the field. And uh, thank you for that. Thanks for having me on. Good luck to you, and look forward to our paths crossing down the road. Yeah, thank you very and much, we're Steve. For your boy here, we're, we're rooting for your boy here in Indianapolis, too. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, But we'll have you back on. Sure, Steve. See you, my friend. All right, thank you. Steve Wilhelm from 247 Sports, director of recruiting for 247 247 Sports, uh, just joining us here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Points to a lot
very passionate um, when talking about what seven on seven means in the whole recruiting process and is not really fond of those who would uh, cast it aside, whether that be fans or high school coaches or even college coaches, um, because some of them don't really care for seven on seven. Um, and, 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 and really all of the recruiting outfits, you do have some, some real old schoolers, but um, where I thought there was a problem that was kind of unique to South Florida, it is not because as I talked to folks out West and then spending some time out there this weekend, um, some of the same problems and the thought process that people have about seven on seven is, uh, is the same in California as it is in Florida. And then uh, come to find out that's also the same in Texas. So that was very interesting. Another interesting conversation that uh, I had while out in uh, the in California for the 707 National Championships um, was, you know, we all know that high school football is a big deal in Texas. There have been a number of movies made about it. But um, I was almost brought to tears <laughs> in hearing, um, you know, just how much support high school football has out in Texas. Um, I learned that the coach at Katy High School makes in excess of $300,000 a year, um, doesn't coach classes. Um, their coordinators coach, I think, two, they teach two or three classes. They're probably making around six figures or maybe even more than six figures. Um, and it is, as you may have seen in the movies, the town shuts down uh, when a high school football game is coming around. So one individual that I spoke to, a kid um, that plays in football in Texas, uh, dad owns a restaurant at 5 o'clock. He closes the restaurant down. It's not that he leaves the restaurant and other people are going to be sitting there working while he's away. After all, he owns it. No, the restaurant is closed so that everyone who works for the restaurant can attend a local high school game. And then the restaurant is opened up again at 11 o'clock and will stay open um, past midnight, maybe 2 a.m. or something like that, and then close down and then reopens um, under normal hours the next day. But it's just amazing the amount of support um, that is put forth in, in Texas and the kind of salaries that high school coaches can make um, coaching high school football in Texas. And I'm sure um, a salary like that comes with a tremendous amount of pressure. But I'll tell you this, their salaries are definitely not anywhere close to that down here in South Florida. Um, but the pressure is the same. There's pressure to win. Um, and, and that comes each and every week. If you don't think there's pressure down here, you know, go slide down into that. Um, so in, in the SEC division, as they call it down there in Dade County, when Central and Northwestern and Carroll City and Norland have to battle each other, it's, um, there's pressure there. They're just not compensated anywhere, anywhere near the way um, folks out in Texas are compensated. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of support. Um, the other amazing figure that I got out of the discussion about Texas high school football is that at, at Katy High School, they will get 5,000 people out to practice, to practice. You are struggling to get that to a high school football game here in South Florida. And I know all the things that we can say about it. There are just so many other things to do here in South Florida. I would just love to, even with that being the case, and it's one of the reasons I love um, living in South Florida because there is so much to do. I would just love to see us get uh, more support for high school football down here. Uh, we don't, don't seem to support high school football players and athletes until they're in college about to become pros and about to come into money. 
How about supporting them when it's pure, there's nothing, there's nothing, um, there's no carrot, so to speak, other than, you know, a college football scholarship. No one has money. They're just playing it for the love of it. I would love to see us up the attendance at games, practice, and just the overall interest in high school football here in South Florida. I know we're not going to get 5,000 people to a practice. I understand that. I know we're not going to get an average of 42,000 people to uh, the home games, um, as, as I was told is possible at some of the high schools in Texas. I know that's not going to happen, but I would love to see the numbers get higher than where we are. And when we have state championships, let's fill in the seats. Let's try and get more than 8,000 people to a state championship game featuring uh, the two top teams in the state uh, with a lot of athletes that are going to Division One schools and uh, are going to be living out their dreams. You know, 8,000 at a state championship game when they can get 5,000 to a practice um, in Texas just doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right at all. So we've got to find some kind of way to regenerate the interest in high school football here in South Florida. That's going to do it here for me, for us, for all of us on the Gridiron Stud Show. I thank you all for watching. I appreciate my guest, Steve Wolfong, Director of uh, Recruiting at 247 Sports, for joining us here. I hope you guys were able to take a lot of uh, very interesting things away from what he had to say. I know I did, and um, I look forward to the uh, next show that we're going to have here. I'll be on next Wednesday, uh, hopefully with another strong guest. And if not, hey, you know, I could talk for an hour and bring up something very interesting several things very interesting. So uh, thank you all again for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for watching the Gridiron Stud Show.